Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Woodstock, Georgia, it's time for Cherokee Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Welcome to this very special edition of Cherokee Business Radio. It is our inaugural Trusted Advisor Series, and I can't think of a better way to kick it off than to bring back to the Business Radio X microphone with Mike Cena Advisors, Mr. Mike Cena. How are you, buddy? I am great. It's uh, it's a so far so good this winter. I think it's even better since we turned your headphones up. We just did a sound check before we started this, and they're like, yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> and then Mike starts pointing at me. So these are the things that happen when you do inaugural stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, before we dive into the whole conversation, Mike's brought a guest with him, uh, Jeff Snow. Did I get the last name? Did I remember that right? Uh, before we get into that conversation, though, uh, Mike, let's remind the, the listeners, it's probably been a while since you've been on air with us. Uh, what are you advising about, man? Mission, purpose? What are you out there trying to do for folks with your practice? I advise people on uh, managing their money, and uh, the financial planning side of my business is quite crucial. I tell folks that I make my money managing money, but the value I bring is in the planning. And uh, so we spend a lot of time uh, building a highly personalized financial planning fee-only practice. So I don't sell insurance. And I don't sell securities. All I really sell is my expertise, my experience, my opinion. And uh, I've been doing this for a lot of years. Uh, I like <laughs> to tell folks I was fired from my first two jobs. I've been on my own ever since. So I've learned a lot about life, business, and money over the years. And now you took a little bit of a different approach, although I have seen it a, um, some, but it's a, it's a fee-based approach as opposed to selling products and receiving a commission. Am I, am I getting that right? Pretty close. We're, we're actually fee-only. Fee-only. Period. Amen. The only okay. income I get is when my client writes me a check. And there's different ways of doing that, but I don't sell any products. I don't make any money from the uh, sale of a product or a transaction. I don't right. get referral kickbacks. I don't get kickbacks from mutual funds. Uh, it's a very unique kind of one-on-one situation with my clients. And it, to me, the beauty of this, I have no other master to serve. Right. Now, I'm going to get on a soapbox here, but if you're a banker, if you're an insurance agent, You've got several masters to serve. One of them is a quota system. You've got to bring in the dollars or you'll be shown the door. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm not saying it's, it's conflicts of interest, but it certainly is there. And uh, with me, it's just me and my client. No other master to serve. And i got to tell you, I love it. I have so much fun with it, and I make a difference in people's lives. Well, everybody knows Mike Cena now, but was it tough in the, in the early going? Was it because it strikes me that that would be a tough thing in the early going to get off the ground a, a, a financial advisor kind of practice? Or you have no idea. And <laughs> <laughs> so, most of my professional career, I earned an IT business for a lot of years. Some people go, "Well, how do you go from IT to managing money?" And it's right. I was a business guy. I had a partner that was the IT side, and we had a great partnership, a great run a great relationship. The company is still going. But IT changed a lot. I just wasn't having fun with it anymore. And I said, you know, this financial planning, I think I got ahead for that. And I think it would be great. And it's a couple of things I will tell you. You can't get too much more intimate with clothes on than actually talking (laughs) about your money. It's very deep for a lot of folks. And uh, I tend to 
be what I call a left brain introvert. I'm really good technically with what I do, but there's a lot of emotional aspects, and I've had to learn how to use the right side of my brain, how to listen, and how to help people make the most of what they have. And I had a situation uh, last week, and it's husband and wife. Longer story here, but basically the wife wants a car. The husband doesn't. And I know the situation pretty well, but I said, you know, I think you guys should get the car. <laughs> and she goes, yay. <laughs> um, it, it's just it's a really interesting dynamic. And when I started off in the business, I, I wanted to work with younger, lesser affluent people. And everybody told me that you hmm. never make any money with that. Yeah. And I said, watch me. And turns out they were right. It was really hard <laughs> to make money with younger, lesser affluent people. There is a maturity level in there. You have to reach a certain level. People know what they don't know. And so there was a maturity thing. There was an income thing. And for a lot of younger people, it's hard to justify two, three, four hundred dollars a month for a financial plan or a financial planner. It's not something you can touch. It's not a life insurance policy. It's not an annuity. Right. It's something a little more ethereal that unfolds over time. But honestly, it's like compound interest. It works. And over time, you'd be amazed at what will happen to your life working with a fee-only financial planner. And you keep your eyes open. You've got your, your finger on the pulse of things. You, you're you not locked into one set of strategies, particular tactics. Uh, um, and I think today's episode is kind of going to lean us into that because you have a, you're, you're really beginning to pay some attention to and try to help some of your clients at least understand and, and learn a little bit about this, this, this area of commercial real estate. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I grew up in the real estate business. I love investment real estate, but I can tell you, I never wanted to be a landlord <laughs> and being married, raising a son, having a business, there was only so much to go around. Uh, I love the stock market, but about a third of my clients, the bulk of their wealth is in investment real estate, Is that right? either homes uh, or commercial properties. I've got a client, in fact, that uh, my guest is going to talk to next week, who's got an office building in downtown Curtis Hill. They're looking to sell. Uh, I just, I love uh, investment real estate. So let me tee it up with Jeff Snow. We've been friends for a lot of years. Jeff, you've been in the real estate business uh, longer than, <laughs> than you might like to admit, but 30 or so years. Is that right? Uh, 1980. Okay. Yeah. So Jeff Snow was the man. He's been in commercial real estate, starting off in South Florida. Then you moved to Georgia, what, about 15, 18 years ago? 2006, yes. Okay. And um, you've been through... Uh, you've seen a lot that's happened. Yep. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is, in my mind, there's really three ways to generate wealth over time. The easiest is with the stock market, 401k, that kind of thing. Uh, next easiest is investment real estate, putting some money aside, buying some properties, doing a little at a time, and let it compound over periods of time. And the third way is to be a business owner, own your own business. And that is by far, in my mind, the most difficult not everybody has a mindset or a head for that type of endeavor. But uh, commercial real estate, um, one of the things I want to talk about, Jeff, is um, where do you see opportunities in commercial real estate today? Well, thank you very much, Mike, and thanks for inviting me here. <clears throat> I really appreciate it. 
I've been in commercial real estate since 1980. And I started off doing what you were just talking about, selling businesses. And you're absolutely right. There's a lot of people that really want a business. They have the money, but they don't have the temperament for it. Because it does take a certain kind of person to have a group of people working for you all day long in one location. And that wasn't next really my forte, but I did do a lot of that in the in the very beginning of when I first started in real estate. I went to a small gathering one time, and somebody gave my name to the gentleman that ran the Westinghouse division of, of our real estate company down in South Florida. And he called me up, and we interviewed a couple of times and came to, came to, to an agreement that I would go to work for him, and he would take me under his tutelage to teach me commercial real estate. I was extremely excited till they told me I wasn't making any money unless I sold something, but that's okay. <laughs> but I got into the development of warehouses and shopping centers at that time. And the company, it was or is uh, Westinghouse Communities, Westing, under Westinghouse Commercial, and it was called Core Ridge Properties. And they owned a piece of property in the northwest section of Broward County, Florida. And with that, I moved there, and that, I'm trying to remember exactly, but in 1979, there were 37,000 people there. And my job was to help develop the entire area. Today, there's over 220,000 people in the same large area. So we developed an, an industrial park and a couple of shopping centers that we built, meaning the company built, and I was involved in helping with that and then helping with the actual marketing of the properties too. So I was, it, was a, it was a great education. For, it didn't cost me anything like the other education cost me. <laughs> but I was so glad to be out of computers, uh, mainframe operations and, yeah. and programming. That was not, it just didn't work out for me. But I want to say one thing about commercial real estate. Everything starts with the land. And all of you know, you just walk outside and look around, and you'd wish you'd bought a piece of property that is now worth 10 times what it was there, if that, if that uh, yeah. even, even more than that. And I've, I've been in Georgia since 2006, seven, And when I, when I came here, and saw what Cherokee looked like. I loved it. It was a nice, small little community. There were some problems coming because 2008 hit and 2009 and 10, 11. Yeah. And it, it, it changed, but it was still a small community. And then as soon as we started coming out of the recession, it exploded. Yeah. And it was really exciting. And then when you, that's when I realized, wow, I wish I had bought that piece of property back there on that corner. It's, it's now the church I go to, um, and it's a huge piece of property. So everything starts with the land. If you invest in land, there's, it's a long-term, it's usually a longer-term use, unless you're going to be using it for whatever the use might be. You put an industrial building on it or whatever. Multifamily. And you're, you're asking about, oh, let me back up to the land thing for a mm -hmm. second. You wanted me to tell you a couple of anecdotes. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of selling properties and being involved in the development part of it too, but selling the properties to developers. Hal Wendell, who is a very 
big developer in Israel, also in Long Island, decided to start building in Coral Springs, Florida. He bought a piece of property from me, and it was 17 acres approximately. And that was right when we were going through our tree ordinance. And he could not get that land cleared for anything. It just took, it was taking forever. I mean, months and months and months. Sunday morning, he shows up with a bulldozer by himself, and he took down every tree that he wanted to take down. Just gone. And, of course, he ended up in jail, but that's beside the point. (laughs) He got rid of the trees. He built the shopping center, moved back to Israel. I'm sure he's very happy right now. But that's a, a, a land deal right now is is a long-term use. I mean, it takes a long time to get things developed these days. Now, I moved over to the multifamily business side of real estate, mm-hmm. commercial real estate. And when I say multifamily, everything four units, above four units is, is what I consider commercial real estate. And that has to be commercial loans, commercial mm-hmm. development loans, et cetera. So I was involved in a lot of multifamily. You can imagine if we were jumping from 37,000 people to what they had anticipated, which is about 100,000, they were going to have to have a lot of housing. So in the interim there for about two and a half, three years, we sold close to 10,000 units. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of pieces of property that have to be readied for development. And it was a very, it was a really exciting time. It was fantastic. And Mr. Holiday bought a piece of property from me and <laughs> happened to be in my neighborhood, not too far from me. And it was a good-sized piece of property. It was about 26 acres. And his problem was they had a special little lizard somebody at the EPA found on his property. <sighs> Needless to say, they weren't there on a Monday morning. For some reason, they were just all gone. Got the development done, but this is how these guys think. They, they, this is go to A, let's get it done, and whatever it takes, they're going to get it done, and they do. Well, you have to. I mean, time is money. Absolutely. um, So my dad was in commercial and industrial real estate, and he bought uh, or brokered primarily warehousing. And he would get a percentage, a small percentage, every month for 30 years from that lease. And it funded his retirement. Yeah. It really worked out uh, quite well. And reminded me of something I want to bring up, too, that might be of interest to people. A lot of folks want to use their IRA to invest in real estate. And it's typically a terrible idea. You can expound on it. But there's so many tax advantages to owning real estate depreciation and uh, and the like. You lose all of that capital gains tax treatment inside an IRA. But raw land is a perfect example that you can use your IRA to purchase because there's no depreciation on land. There's no income from it. It's yeah. it's just a capital gain when you sell it at some point in time. Exactly. And if you wanted a retirement someplace in the Tennessee mountains or even North Georgia, you buy the property and you sit on it. And yeah. it's going to – it's night and majority of the time it's going to increase in value. And it's just because there's more of us people around that want the land. That's it. It's yeah. very simple. So the multifamily business was a was a very big business at that point. And my company, Coral Ridge Properties, what they would do is do everything to prepare the land to build a building on it. And the, they made their money by doing it for single-family homes. And it became a, a 
It's a huge company still. And their single-family homes division was not part of what we did. They already owned the land. They had owned the land for years, developed it, and, and that's where the single-family came from. Uh, then I once I got a little bit of the multifamily stuff done, we started building warehouses in the industrial park. It's a light industrial park. It's not heavy, uh, meaning that you, there's no major manufacturing. There's no chemical off-breed, no smoke coming out of anything other than maybe steam. But we built a, a fairly unique industrial park in that it was contained all in one section so that if you didn't want to see it, you, you could drive right through the entire city and you'll never see it if you don't know where it is. And that was, a, uh, that was an important point for the company because they, did, they wanted to hide the what would be negative to, to yeah, they think, people sense. buying it. Yeah. And they didn't put single-family homes anywhere near the industrial park. Yeah. But it's it's almost fully built out now, and this has been many, many years, but it's a, probably a three-square-mile area, so it's pretty good size, pretty good size. And it's right up against the Everglades. So, Getting closer to home, yeah. what do you see taking place? Uh, you and I have talked a little bit about opportunities in northern Cherokee County, Pickens County, Dawson County, um, being just slightly outside of where it's super hot right now you want to talk about that for a minute absolutely uh i believe there's there's a lot of people i I just had a client i luckily found him a piece of property in cherokee county and i say luckily because it's very hard to find what he needed in in cherokee uh people are going towards pickens gilmer etc there is a little problem up there you there's very little water Mm. they have to import their water or it has to be by well so any kind of large manufacturing is not going to make it up there unless they figure out a way to, to pump the water in. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's – um, it is a problem for both Pickens and Gilmer County. Uh, Dawson County, I believe, does have access to Alatuna, and they can get some water from it. They may even have their own uh, reservoir that I don't know about. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but I think the development up that way, first of all, it's going to be mostly single and, and low multifamily, two, two, three, four units. But I don't think you're going to find a whole bunch of new apartment buildings coming out of the ground. They just don't have the access, the, the, the uh, capacity for it. And they went through a, a good re- a recession with us, but they came out of it quicker because mm-hmm. everything that they had was smaller properties, industrial. Um, industrial right now is very is very big because people can't find what they need. My client is in a four-acre parcel right now down near Jamerson Road, mm-hmm. and he has, he has 60 trailers, six, okay. 60. And uh, four, four acres does not hold that much. So he has to rent property. So He's creating this property in Ballground, and it's going to be uh, half of the property is his, and then we're marketing the other half for one of my favorite things, which is self-storage. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Self-storage is a very interesting market. I met a guy, two people, Bruce Manley and uh, Buzz Victor. Buzz Victor wrote the book on self-storage. They consider him the grandfather of self-storage development. And he did it all up and down the turnpikes and different places that they started. Now it's become a huge industry. It's a very different industry. There are no leases. It's only, you can only rent by the month. You might have an agreement for a year, but you can only rent by the month. And the average person that goes into a self-storage, they visit it one time per month. 
How many, just think about how many times an apartment with two people driving or three people driving, how many times they have to enter and leave. It's, it's, the maintenance is extremely low. The income is, it's not passive, but it's pretty close to passive income because right now everybody's doing it by credit card. Yeah. Um, the, to find the property for it to go on is easier than it used to be because the, the counties especially up around here, are, are being pretty flexible about what they're allowing. They allow it in general commercial. Mm-hmm. A lot of places they have to have it industrial land, but here is in general commercial. Mm-hmm. But I, I was involved with Buzz Victor and Bruce Manley in South Florida, and we found, built, sold 14 facilities. Wow. And a couple of those were one was Miami Beach, where it was less than a three-quarters of an acre, and it went up seven, seven stories high. Very, you have to be innovative and work outside the box. Another one that I sold, the guys had it was called Store Everything. Mm-hmm. They were right on Miami Beach, on the line of Miami Beach. They had a wine cellar. They had a place you could put your car into that was a double concreted wall. If you wanted, I mean, this place is close enough to the ocean that you could get some pretty nasty stuff with mm-hmm. a hurricane. But they would store. Anything. And the one big thing that, that self-storage doesn't like is chemicals, and they would store that. So, oh, Cool. Um, and that is pretty much light industrial. And most of what we have here in, in Cherokee County, or up this way, Cherokee, and, and even over in Forsyth, is light industrial. The heavy industrial, there is some, mm-hmm. but it's few and far between. Uh, the crane company up on in Ball Ground on East Cherokee is a huge industrial heavy industrial they have they make their own cranes they they weld it and put it together and then there are a few others but most of them are in light industrial which is and and it could be a huge organization but they just don't manufacture and create the problems that the epa would not like them for okay it's hard enough as it is Um, a lot of those industrial buildings now are distribution centers as uh, amazon built here in town FedEx has them in town, uh, in town, I mean, in the metro area of Atlanta, huge one, huge uh, UPS facility for um, distribution. And all they're doing is taking in something, possibly repackaging it, and then shipping it out. And a lot of times they don't repackage it. They just take it in and ship it out in a different way. So it goes from a big truck to the distribution to a small truck. And that's a huge thing around here. And if you know what the corridor is between Atlanta and, and Charlotte, that I-85 corridor, okay. if you drive up that corridor and you, and you can look around, not while you're going 90 miles an hour like you do in your BMW, but if you look <laughs> around, you can, you can see some of the huge operations that yeah. are there. One of them is one of my favorites that you and I both know, the gentleman that invented the electric nail gun, John Witzegruder. Yeah. And he, the, the Ryobi factory up there is almost 3 million square feet. It wow. is absolutely tremendous. It's huge. And that's not even their headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ryobi's huge for Home Depot. Is there anything that I'm missing that you'd like me to talk about? No, we're getting a, a pretty good overview. What I'm thinking is there are any number of opportunities. Yes. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, particularly for uh, – clients that I would typically serve, that you might serve, that Stone might know, is this Airbnb phenomena, short-term rentals. Uh, Would you mind talking a little bit about that? What what do you see 
in your crystal ball. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Yeah. I have a couple of Airbnbs. And they, they've worked out for me very, very well. But I am, I'm, I'm a control freak when it comes to that. So I know who they are, where they're going, what they're using it for, how long they're going to be there. I'm, I'm pretty and – I, and I mean over and above what, mm-hmm. quote, Airbnb does. And Airbnb is, is just is the name of a company, but that's where everything came from uh, when they started doing couch surfing in San, Fran- <laughs> San Diego. San yeah, Francisco, I San Francisco, yeah. 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 So uh, – as in both of you, I'm sure, have families or have been on a vacation where you've rented a house, rented a property, oh, yeah. a condo, something. That's all it is, is, is your, your quote, Airbnb experience is somebody maybe doing it on a much smaller scale than having a huge condo building. My, my, my dad lived off Fort Myers, and we used to go down there to his place, and we rented a uh, two very large condos. We took over the whole floor with our family, about 40 people. And that was the same thing. It's just a, just a different way of looking at it. One of the negatives of having a Airbnb, and and I you didn't you do do need to know what the negatives are. Are people that are going to go in there and destroy it, or people that are going to go in there and have huge parties that they're that they're bringing in people that have no responsibility for what's going on. And once you if you can control that, and there's a lot of electronic things that they have listening. Uh, they have a listening microphones that go to your phone so you can take care of it. I've heard of that kind of stuff. Yep, cameras. Um, and, and some of this stuff is what's legal and what's not legal. You have to look that up yourself. I I tend to create my own rules as I go. <laughs> well, you kind of have to. And I, it reminds me, my in-laws were very astute uh, investors. They owned a quadruplex down in Marathon Key. Three of the units were full-time residents, and one unit was short-term, vacation, whatever. And it worked out fabulously for them. Yeah. There were They and uh, another married couple owned the buildings, mm-hmm. and uh, they've owned it for years, and it's provided very reliable income. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my brother and I own a unit down in Orlando, and probably 70% of the units are in a a weekly or, or a condo situation, not timeshare, okay. but a condo type situation like what Airbnb would offer. And it's a huge community that, that is big enough to have its own water park inside. Okay. And so, like I said, about 70% of the, of the people that are resi- uh, that own units are you use it for Airbnb and Airbnb. There's probably 80 other different yeah. platforms that you mm-hmm. can rent your homes through. Mm-hmm. Um, each one of them has their own little t- tweaking thing that they work, but it's a f- fabulous business. It's a great way to make some extra money. If you have a, if you have a unit or a location that you can build up Our, a friend of ours, uh, found a place, um, Regina, Regina, I'm thinking about her. Yeah. yeah she's she, a very astute. Yes, investor. she is. Yeah. And she found a place and fixed it up and was using it for herself. And then she just started using Airbnb. It was very successful. One of the things I'd like to talk about is how do you finance this stuff? Uh, you know, we, we all hear the commercials, no money down. Yeah. But we know that's not really legitimate. What would you consider is reasonable? Do you go to a bank? Do you find private investors? Do you save up enough cash? You do it steps at a time. Uh, okay. what, would, what would be your advice for somebody looking to get started? Up until we got in this conversation, till we got to Airbnb, 
everything I've talked about is going to be basically a, a loan from a financial institution, yeah. whether it's a bank or a yeah. credit union or a, a big enough property. And a lot of the apartments that I was talking about, they're financed by insurance companies. And mm-hmm. insurance companies, do, if you've ever seen where their headquarters are, you can see why they have all the money. <laughs> I'm going to take $10,000 from you and I'm going to give you a piece of paper and that's it. (laughs) And I'm going to invest that. So where can you do the investments? It's changed over the years. Uh, Those of you that are old enough remember savings and loans and savings and loans were a great way to get an income loan for for instance, a fourplex or a sixplex uh-huh. or, or whatever it might be, that they they had their own limits. They had their they also have their limits as credit unions do today, of the areas they can lend in. And so, if you were if you were going to use the savings and loan credit union, that that would be a, a great way of doing it because you become a member and the interest rates almost always are lower. Yeah. And same thing with a credit union; yeah. they're not always lower, but a lot of times they are, but their their requirements are less. Mm-hmm. But they do hold the the loan within the bank. They don't resell it. A majority of the time, I'm say a hundred percent. So then financing. Right now, we are using small banks. We don't recommend people go to the big big five or ten, whatever whatever the banks are. But we have some small banks that are working out fabulously for small offices. We are finishing an office project on Sixes Road and Main Street in River Park. We actually have one unit left out of 50-something units. And almost every single one of them in there are done by a small uh, bank. Okay. And the bank will hold the paper, mm-hmm. meaning they hold the mortgage. They don't resell it. Okay. They don't have to go out and get money. They have investors that put the money up. Uh, then when you move into a larger situation, uh, for instance, this this company that I have that's buying the property up in Ballground, it's a pretty big project, probably close to $5 million. And they've gone to a company, that I, I can't say the name because I sure. don't remember the name, but they have that company had to split it with another bank because it was bigger than what they wanted. But that happens a lot I mean, okay. in, I mean, in, in financing. Um, their, one of their biggest concerns right now is when can we close and is it going to be before is it going to be before the interest rates go up yeah now every time the interest rates go up and you know this you're in the finance business the amount of people that can do what they wanted to just simply buy buying a home that gets reduced real quickly if it goes up a half a point mm-hmm. and they just can't qualify for the for the amount of home that they have and right now, I heard on the radio the other day, I couldn't believe it. They said there's only 1,900 homes available in the Atlanta area. 1,900? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you, I don't know if you remember ever looking at the sign in Marietta heading south on 75. <laughs> I remember. And uh, uh-huh. during, the, during 2009, 2010, I would take my wife to work and it was 110,000 homes and, and call us now or whatever. I mean, that's simply amazing. So the value of single family and multifamily is going to continue. I mean, it's it's the value in my own neighborhood has been phenomenal. I just I, it's really hard to believe how fast it's gone up. And the whole idea of that is, as a finance person, Mike, is to know when to get out. When are you going to sell the house? Because if you look at that curve of when it's going up, when does it turn? Yeah. Nobody knows when it's going to go down again. And when it gets at the bottom, when is it going to turn back up again? People don't know that. It's a, it's a roller coaster. So 
the financing part, you can also, there's private financing. A lot of private financing people have money. They've put it with people like Mike. They've created a nest egg, and now they want to invest it in something. It might be a little bit more sketchy. might be a little bit not a Class A product, mm-hmm. Class B, Class C, or help somebody, uh, maybe a family member. Mm-hmm. Put a, put a uh, project together that would either be an income project or possibly even for a business. And so financing is is an important way to go. And I know you've put together a lot of deals uh, that were private financing that people needed money to do something, mm-hmm. and you've made it you've made it work for them. And that that does work. The interest rates they they vary from whatever from whatever. But if you go to a hard money lender, meaning you're not going to a bank, but you're going to somebody because you want to flip a house or you want to buy a house mm-hmm. and fix it up, that interest rate's going to be very high, but it's going to be a short-term loan, yeah. six months to a year, and you're going to have to pay for the privilege of borrowing that money a couple of percentage points, and then the high percentage on what the interest is, but it's only for a short period of time till yeah. you can get the house back to what it is. And most of the time, those guys are very savvy home flippers themselves. They know what's going on. You know, getting to that, one of the things I have learned over the years is to a degree, no matter what you want to do, you have to have some experience. You have to have some knowledge. There are any number of things that can go awry, that can go wrong on any kind of purchase. And I'd like to come back with also my favorite saying, we touched on it a little bit, but I believe no matter what you're buying, that the money is always made on the buy. And if you buy the property at a good price chances are you're going to do fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, real estate stocks, they're longer-term investments. This house-flipping business, though, it just it seems so seductive because you hear of all these people, they're just making gazillions of dollars flipping houses. But i got to tell you, you've got to have your act together really, really well, yep. and you've got to turn that property over quick. And one of the things, particularly with stocks and real estate, is you've got to keep your emotion out of it. It's got to be a business transaction start to finish. Yep. How many times do you run into people that get emotionally <clears throat> attached to a commercial deal? It's well, probably not as much as buying a home, but I had a I, I had I've had two partners that I flipped homes with. The first one, great guy, cold as a fish. That we would I mean he could have three babies, a woman holding three babies crying, and he would kick them out of the house. The second one just a, a little bit of a, t- it doesn't even have to be a tear, and he bends. Yeah. So there's different personalities sure. on both ends of that. Yeah. But it, it, keeping, the, keeping the emotions out of it is very important. You have to know what your numbers are. Now, when you're buying a house, and all of us here, are you married? Yes, sir. Yeah, all of us here. <laughs> Otherwise, either. I wouldn't even get to be here. <laughs> all of us are either married or we're married and know that we're not the ones that are buying the house. It's really the wife. Look at these faces. <laughs> and that, that's an emotional decision. Now, the bank's going to decide how much you can put up, uh, how much house you can buy. But if if she doesn't like it, if the yeah. kitchen's bad, if the bathrooms are bad, yeah. uh, I mean, unless she's an investor, and I was very lucky that my wife's an investor, mm-hmm. she she used to flip house. She used to build them herself. Mm-hmm. And so when we went to look at a property, we owned a number of properties. When we went to look at a property, she'd have that uh, in her head of mm-hmm. what the property is going to be worth at the end. But 
keeping the emotions out of it for like an industrial property or a retail property, et cetera, is very important. Yeah. I didn't get to retail because I worked for uh, uh, after the my time with the Court Ridge Properties. I went to work for retail companies. I'm One sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> these are no, these are not. I, I wasn't on the. Uh, in the store stuff. I hear I, you, but even so, there's, yeah, that's a different mindset in retail. I oh, definitely found. different. Yeah, very, very, very different. And I worked for two, three very large companies. One of them was uh, Price Legacy out of San Diego. The other one was Kimco. And the other one was Conover out of, well, actually, they were out of Boca Raton. Mm-hmm. And all of them had started in unique ways. Mr. Conover uh, was a uh, refugee in World War II, he had fought for the Polish in World War II, and he came over. He and his brother bought a motel, fixed it all up, and, and I mean, marble floors. They actually were tile layers, is what they did, uh, tile or floor layers, whatever it was back then. Um, and he owned about 20 million square feet of property, but he never sold the hotel. He always held on to the hotel. Yeah. Um, very, really nice guy. Absolutely, I've had no vices whatsoever, not women, not smoking, not drinking, but he could gamble a half a million dollars in the Bahamas in one weekend, easily. Yeah. <laughs> nice guy, but he, he could do it. <laughs> but you, you could offer him a bet on anything. That was, I always thought that was great. Uh, but retail is, is huge, obviously. That's where we buy our groceries. That's where we go get our clothes. That's where we get... A number of things that even like a cup of coffee or or would what would be a, a McDonald's or Moe's Moe's Cantina. Mm-hmm. So the the big boxes is what I had started with, mm-hmm. and I would find tenants. Negotiations are long and tenuous. Leases are huge, but the tenant moves in eventually and creates a, a store, and hopefully that the market is going to maintain that they do so much research up front so if you know that there's a public going in someplace and you can buy property near it buy yeah. it because yeah. they have they've put in yeah. hundreds of hours thousands of hours of time to make sure that that property is going to make it uh, so the retail has been has always been very big i've done a number of retail transactions it's a it's an excellent uh, income but as you say it can be very fickle too uh, as soon as you start taking a downturn in the market, it's, it's, it's going to be one of the first things that goes down in retail. I'm thinking of uh, one of my favorite stories. I actually chronicled it in the book I wrote several years ago. I don't remember the, the name of the guy. He's a Greek guy, and he immigrated to Canada years and years ago. He really had nothing. And he was working, I think, for either General Motors or Ford, outside of Toronto, and there was a vacant lot next door. And he was thinking to himself, I bet that General Motors or whatever, they're going to need this for parking or something down the road. And he just kind of put together, he and his brother bought this property. They waited for years. Sure enough, GM bought the property, and that got him started in the real estate mm-hmm. business. And you start off small, and you just keep building it like yeah. any other endeavor. And the point of the story was uh, – Fast forward, I guess, to the 70s or 80s. He was vacationing at home in Greece. His son gave him a call and said, there's an advertisement in the paper. They're trying to sell the Pontiac Silverdome. What do you think, Dad? 
And they ended up, they made an offer on it, and they bought the Silver Dome. They was going to repurpose it for soccer and MMA and, uh, how you say, uh, uh, the car shows and stuff. It, it's amazing how some people see value where nobody else does. I need to follow back up on that story to see how that really worked out for him, because I know it didn't quite work out the way he thought, but he got a fabulous deal wow. <laughs> on the Pontiac Silver Dome. So you just never know. You start small, and you keep building, and you learn. It's a, it's a fabulous way yep. to generate wealth. Absolutely, and, and you're, you're, you're right. As long as you can keep that momentum going and keep looking at new stuff and don't spend all your money, yeah. Um, I think I've got the guy's name. Is it Rod Carew? Is he the tall baseball player yeah I yeah. So, okay, yeah okay yeah. so rod has always been taught was taught when he was a kid i saw an interview he did um always have two incomes mm-hmm. put one away and use the other one when he was in playing baseball he never touched the money in baseball other than to put it in investments okay he started out with one duplex when i saw the interview probably three or four years ago he owned over 16,000 apartments wow. world wow. nationwide. And when I say he owned, he was, a, he was yeah. the major shareholder. And he took, he took one of his incomes and always put it away for investment, and the other one he lived on. That's, I mean, that's, if you can do that, that's fantastic. Kind of reminds me of another one of my favorite little sayings. You can divide people into any number of groups, but one of my favorites is uh, – Two types of people, those that think about spending money and those that think about making money. And it's an entirely different mindset. If you want to generate wealth over time, you want to be thinking about how can I make money? How can I invest money? How will this look 10 years from now? Right. And it's – you have a thir- you have well when I met you you had a thirteen year old, and I have a number of children. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get them to understand it's got to be for down the road. You can't think of right now what are you going to do to go out and party. What are you going to do down the road when you yeah. when when it, when you get to my age and you want to slow down a little bit? You might not be able to, and, and yeah. but that's up to you. One of the things I wanted to get into was net leases. Yeah, tell us about that, please. Yeah. A net lease is, I'm going to use an example of a Starbucks. They build a Starbucks down on Highway 92, and it costs them $2.5 million to build it. They will open it up as a Starbucks. Um, they will make sure that it's a successful Starbucks. There's different timing that people hold on to it, but typically a year to two years. And then they will go to the market and say, I will sell this Starbucks building to an investor and the investor is going to pay X amount of dollars for it, $2.5 million, whatever it might be. And he is going to get a return of whatever the cap rate is. So if, the, if it's a higher cap rate, he makes more. If it's a great area and they know they're going to be getting a lot of business, the cap, cap rate's a little bit lower. What's a cap rate? Cap rate is when you take the income the and take away the expenses mm-hmm. and how much money you put into it and what is going to be your return. Okay. So it's basically the yeah. return. Yeah. And if you, almost any place you go to, if it's got a large big box in it, for instance, Kohl's and what's the store next to them, the Old Navy, Okay. both of those are freestanding buildings, even though they don't look at they're freestanding buildings, and they've sold those to the market. So probably 10 to $12 million. They sold them to the market. 
the market means somebody bought that building. Mm-hmm. They have nothing to do with the business. They can't. The only thing that they can do is they have to maintain the building. They have to okay. play, maintain the roof and not the doors, but pretty much the rest of the building. And by doing that, they're going to get a, a very nice return on on their investment of whatever 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 it might be five percent six percent and it's a pretty solid return because even if the company which a lot of people understand this even if the, if the business has decided to close that store they're still paying the rent so you've seen a lot of especially walgreens cvs and rite aid yeah. that they've contracted recently and so a lot of vacant stores well the company walgreens or whoever it is is still paying the rent the rent and it, it it sits vacant typically till it almost runs out, unless somebody is willing to come up, step up and purchase that. And repurpose property. it for something else. Exactly. And going back to what an individual sees that nobody else sees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they, they work, good. They work uh, at the corner of, in Crabapple, they took an old Walgreens and they made it into... What is the hardware store? It's like a oh, Urban Hardware. Urban Hardware. That's yes. it. U, UH. Yeah. yeah, that's Urban yeah. Hardware, and it's right. It's in the silos. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a 10, 10 to fourteen thousand foot building. Yeah. And now they could be leasing it from the owner, but more than likely they bought it and they've done the same thing. They flipped it to another okay. investor because Urban Hardware is going to be around for a while, and that makes a big difference. I mean, even Home Depots, Lowe's, all of the stores that you think about, almost all of them build it like that. So they're built for cash, especially Walmart. Walmart builds everything for cash. They don't, put, they don't take any financing. They don't have to. Um, they just wait one day, and they can collect enough money to do that. Uh, but they, they'll build it for cash, and then they want to take their cash out and go to a, build another store and and investors are standing in line for those kind of deals because they're solid. They're not going anywhere. Uh, I, I moved here when the one on 92 and Trickham Road opened up. Okay, yeah. And I happened to meet the investor that was doing it. I mean, he was just smiling ear to ear. He just said yeah. he, he was doing, he was going to be doing great. <laughs> well, once again, you start small, you learn, you keep rolling it over and investing and buying a little more, a little more. Right. And next thing you know, we're talking about real money. Yeah. You asked me to to proca- uh, uh, what does Nostradamus do? Predict. Yeah, predict what the market's going to do. Yeah. I know about as much as you do, Michael. And you know more than I do, much more. We're, uh, quite frankly, with this company that I'm with now, when we're developing, we're being brokers, uh, we're looking for opportunities, land, and purchases. We're looking at six months down the road. We actually put together a plan for uh, six, six months, three years. And some of this came to get, most of this came together after the last election. We don't know what's going to happen. We, and I mean, obviously with a, with a war that just started, yes, was it yesterday or the day before? Yeah. Um, it could change everything. Literally could change everything. Somebody gets stupid and they push their finger on a, on a, on a certain button. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. So that's why we're looking at six months down the road. We're not, we're not going that we're going to buy a piece of property and know that we can, we can build on in three years. We're not, we're not doing that. We are, we are hedging our bets that do as much as we can right now in that period of time. And, you know, we, we could go out a year, year and a half. But we're right now, so every six months we're looking at that. And if we're going forward, we're 
we're just extending that three year thing. Um, interest rates this week, this as of Monday or whatever day they're they're meeting, is going to go up what a half a point. Maybe a quarter, half. A quarter to it, a half. It's going to ladder all the way up the line. Right. But it's exactly, and that, the, 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 that's the bank rate, but it's still going to yeah. go up the line. Yeah, they've got a, we could really go way out here, but they've got a very interesting mandate, the Federal Reserve. There is an election coming up. Uh, they are, to a degree, somewhat political. You never know what they're going to do. They mm-hmm. signal this, they signal that. They talk in terms that really nobody understands. Right. It's, uh, it, We've talked enough, Stone and I. We're living in the twilight zone. This is there's so many things. It's coming so fast. It's hard to process. But what I come back to again is land is always going to be with us. Mm -hmm. In commercial real estate, there are ups and downs. But if you can weather the storms, it's a great way to generate wealth over time. And if you pay attention to what Georgia Department of Traffic does. And you see, and you can look out what their three-year plan is. Yeah. You can get a pretty good idea or an idea. And that three-year plan almost never is going to be what they're going to sure. be building. But that three-year plan is going to tell you where the corners are going to be, mm-hmm. uh, where the area is going to be for retail or industrial, whatever it might be. But the GDOT, same thing we did in Florida with FDA, yeah. Florida Department of Transportation, they know what's going to be happening because they've got the mandate that it has to be done down the road. It has to be done today for down the road. I mean, look at what our traffic is. I live out where you used to live in Hickory Flat. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the traffic has just gotten so – we used to be able to pull up to our egress where we're, where we're leaving the our uh, subdivision and just kind of glide through and go – Oh, you get run over by two eighteen wheelers. You try that today, or dump trucks? Actually, dump trucks. So it's somewhat related. This was interesting. I have cousins from Connecticut that were visiting earlier this month. He's in the construction business. He's semi-retired. He's a finished carpenter. We're driving around, and their eyeballs were popping out of their heads. They're from Connecticut. There's nothing going on yeah. in Connecticut, and we are building on every street corner. Yeah. Woodstock, Cherokee County, Buckhead, Midtown. The South is cooking. Yep. It's on fire. And I, I don't see any substantial roadblocks other than, of course, the vast unknown. There's just not enough single-family homes, multifamily homes, uh, industrial parks to satisfy us right now. I see this train going a number of years into the future. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, Listening to the prognosticators of what's going to be happening in multi in single family multifamily, they're just going to the increase might not be the sixteen percent of what it was last year, but it's going to keep going up. Yeah. There's just not enough housing. This has got nothing to do with what happened in two thousand eight and nine. You're right, nothing at all. Yeah, and it's it's the the and and that housing, it's housing ahead of commercial right now. A lot of times it's commercial ahead of housing, depending okay. upon where it is. But right now, it's housing ahead of commercial. So wherever you're putting the housing, that's where the commercial is going to show up eventually. All right. So I just have a question, an engineering question just popped into my head. You're welcome, Stone, to participate. I don't know. I just got back from Florida. I'm driving down I-75 to the Turnpike, and right at the Turnpike in 75 is the Villages. Yes. Which is one of the largest planned communities on planet Earth. They are building thousands 
of single-family homes, both sides of the turnpike. And I'm wondering, the engineering aspect and the planning to get the water in and the sewage out and the infrastructure, all of that stuff, uh, it's mind-blogging to me. Well, I can give you a a little bit of uh, tertiary uh, perspective on this. My brother is the CEO of the Florida Home Builders Association. Wow. Now, Rusty cannot drive a nail. He don't know anything about building a home, but he spends his time and his staff spend their time in the the political arena trying to get things passed, trying to block this, you know, pass that. And there's a lot of it has to do with engineering, everything from septic to the flow of water. You know, and that's a full-time job for he and his staff to try to get so i that's that's all i know (laughs) wow it just it kind of mind boggles me a little bit but once again with all of this development taking place there adjacent properties got to be pretty good investments Mm. getting back to we all wish that uh we're standing on a piece of property i wish i'd have bought this one i had one of my favorite stories there's saint joseph's hospital which is at 400 and 285 it's big gleaming structure my dad i'll never forget he was saying you know we were hundreds of dollars apart an acre on this i'm like hundreds of dollars hundreds of dollars it's millions of dollars an acre now it's all about timing it's all about the numbers but it's also about having a little foresight and seeing what's possible yes and the villages i have a couple of friends one just moved there and one's been Mm -hmm. there for quite a while and I was speaking to Frank when he when he visited up here. They're just finishing their eighty first golf course. Eighty one golf course. Eighty one. Wow. They're just finishing it. That is, uh, it's amazing. Um, can you imagine? You've been in there. Yeah, I you, have. have you I'm not. There? No. Oh, oh, it's a tr- it's a treat. It's yeah. probably worth an excursion just to go hang out, right? It is. Um, I would love to have the golf cart franchise for them. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the bridge going across the turnpike is a golf cart only, I yes, believe. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. And the they have their own sewer treatment plants. Okay. They were required to do that. Mm. One of the positive things about that, and your probably your your brother knows about this, is they built it, and I'm not sure they meant to build it right on top of the aquifer that runs north to south in south in Florida. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're in the Everglades. I mean, you just hang out there you the way you find out is go there in June and just don't put any bug spray on. You you'll find out <laughs> they are in the Everglades. Uh, but that that aquifer goes right underneath so they can get plenty of water. Now how they how okay. they uh, protect it and yeah, exactly. it maintain it still. Yeah. Uh probably weightier questions for another day yes and and they're probably making enough money that they can figure it out themselves (laughs) one of the things i wanted to try and accomplish with this conversation is to encourage people to keep your minds open and to have an imagination you just never know how a property can be repurposed or can fit in with your long-term investment objectives i love the stock market but i love real estate too i got a, a client in hilton head Longer story here, but he is going to buy some property for friends of his to run a bar. And I said, "It's go for it. He's going to own the property. He's going to be the landlord. He's not going to be a bartender. He's not going to be in the restaurant business. He's going to be in the landowning business. Mm -hmm. And it's in a little town called Bluffton, which 
Ja- uh, Jasper County, South Carolina, fastest growing county in South Carolina. Bluffton is, in my mind, a lot like Woodstock. They're doing a lot of things great. I just, I don't see a lot of risk for him. And I see another income stream, which is what he needs is three or four income streams. Yeah, which we all do, right? We all do. Yeah. So the more income streams you can develop in your life, mm-hmm. the better off you're going to be, which reminds me, another person that uh, you and I both know, uh, Chris Miners, yeah. a chiropractor in um uh, in Canton, I don't think he would object, but he owns his office building, but he's he bought some property in Pickens County, yep. and they're building a house up there. They're going to sell the bridge mill house, and he is going to have either goats or sheep. He's going to have some kind of blueberries, I think, and then mm-hmm. they're going to do either glamping or little Airbnb-type things on the property. Mm-hmm. He's going to have about four or five different income streams. Yep. Brilliant man. Yeah. And these Absolutely. are the kind of things that you want to think about is have an open mind. And, Jeff, how can people reach you if they want to learn more? Well, I'm, I'm with Path and Post Real Estate. It's located here in, in Cherokee yep. County. My phone number is 954-214-0536. That's the first cell phone number I ever had. And I'll never remember another one, so I've <laughs> kept it all this time. And uh, very simply, Jeff at pathpost.com. All right, cool. And you're happy to have conversations with people that want to learn about how they can get in get into real estate, get started with real estate. You and I are both in Toastmasters. Yeah. One of the reasons I got into Toastmasters is I would go around to real estate offices and I'd explain to them what Core Ridge Properties does and explain to them that you know, we own all the land, we develop it, and mm-hmm. any questions you have, give me a call. My referral business skyrocketed after I did that because most pe- most real estate agents don't do, want to do commercial. They, it's it's a different animal. It's totally it is, different. Yeah. And I'd be more than happy to answer any questions anybody has, even if it's just a question has nothing to do with what they want to do. I'll be happy to answer it. Sounds great, Stone. Well, this has been fantastic, so informative for me, because Holly and I have kind of reached that point in our lives where we should be exploring something like this, and we should be getting expert counsel from people like you and Jeff Snow. So uh, this is what a marvelous way to spend a Friday morning. Let's make sure that we leave our listeners with your contact info, too, whatever you think is appropriate, your LinkedIn, website, phone, whatever, whatever. MikeSenaAdvisors.com, Mike at MikeSenaAdvisors, we're fee-only Certified financial planners, highly personalized. Uh, that's the best way to reach me. And, um, Jeff, thanks for coming on. I, this has been a delight. And um, I'll say again, I grew up in the real estate business. I love it. It's a great way to generate wealth over time. Yep. And I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you very much for inviting me. We've talked so many times over the years about different things. Yeah. And this has been exciting. I really enjoyed doing it. And I'll be happy to help anybody that wants that. Sounds good. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for our host today, Mike Cena, our guest, Jeff Snow, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Trusted Advisors Radio. Mm-hmm.